Well, good morning. It is good to be with you, and it's good for us to be together. And it's always a blessing to join our hearts and our minds and our voices in worshiping God. As we look out on the, in the audience, we see that we have several visitors with us, and we're very happy to have you. And we're grateful that you've come our way, and we encourage you to come back every opportunity that you have and worship and study with us as we seek God's way. Lord willing, if you are still in the area and you are able, you know, we plan to assemble again this evening at 6 p.m. for another hour of worship. And you're invited to come back and be with us then as well. Also want to say it's good to have some folks who've been out of town. We're glad that you're home and safe with your family. And so we rejoice in those answered prayers. And we have much to be grateful for. And we have a lot to be concerned about. But we have a great and good God who takes care of us each step of the way. In Psalm 145, we have these words. God's majesty is reflected in his kingdom. And what do we mean by that? Well, simply this, that the kingdom and the very majesty of that kingdom actually comes from God. And as a result, it in turn points back to the one who is the majesty himself. And in past weeks and months, we have looked at some various aspects of the kingdom of our God and the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. From creation's beginning, man has had a God-ordained purpose. And it is a purpose that is to be earnestly and diligently pursued. But through sin... All men have strayed. All men have defiled their purpose because we have foolishly veered from our calling that's in God. And yet, in Christ, through Christ, all who have been blessed with entrance and blessed with adoption into God's Son's kingdom have answered this call a divine call to resume the purpose for which we were created to live and do. And that is to glorify God. And to glorify God particularly by a life of holiness and a life of righteousness. And so, with this renewed kingdom purpose, our personal ambition ought to be taking on a new drive. Our personal ambition should be taking on a new endeavor, a new objective. We know what the word ambition refers to, but let me give you a simple definition from a dictionary which simply tells us ambition is a strong desire to gain a particular objective. Pretty, pretty broad, pretty general, but we understand that. It is the drive to succeed. And perhaps in a more kind of worldly context, in a context that often you hear people in talking about their ambitions in this life, you'll talk about things like, you know, their ambition is to gain fame or their ambition is to gain power or wealth. Those are worldly things. 
the spiritual ambition of Christ's kingdom citizens is embedded in the majesty of that kingdom. Our ambition is embedded in the fact that we are part of something majestic. We are part of something that is great and good. And when the kingdom and its righteousness are prioritized, and Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount, when that is true about us, well then, a Christian's drive, our drive, and our goal in this life is going to be tempered. And it is going to be transformed by our allegiance to the one who is the eternal majesty. The apostle Paul actually spoke about the subject of ambition. And he describes what his true ambition is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read those verses here in the 5th chapter, verse 6 through verse 10. And so in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes these words by the Holy Spirit, and he says this, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that we are, while we are at home in the body, we are absent. From the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul's aim was his defining trait. It was core to his identity, and therefore he pursued this doggedly. And you think about what he says here in these verses. He was very mindful of a couple things here. He's mindful of the fact that uh, judgment is coming. So with that you know, at the forefront of his thoughts, as well as the fact that life here on earth is temporal. Those two things were at the forefront of his mind. And so he says, what my ambition simply is, is I want to please the Lord. When I think about the judgment to come, when I think about the brevity and the transient nature of my life, all that matters to me, Paul is saying here, and all that matters to us, his co-workers and those he, that includes in this number, he says, what matters to us is that our ambition is simply to please the Lord. That's what their life was all about. Living life in a way that pleases the Lord should be every Christian's ambition, should it not? If we have called on the name of the Lord, and he is now our Lord, and he is our Savior, and he is our King, and our Mediator, and our, our, if he is that to us in this personal relationship that we have an allegiance to God and to Christ, should not our ambition in this life be just to please God? To please the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just a favorable wish. There's a difference between wishes and maybe some wants in life versus what your ambition is. 
Your ambition is what drives you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. What is driving Paul is that he wants to please the Lord. That's what his motivating action is all about. It was his spiritual approach toward life. And so he did that with enthusiasm. He did that with determination. He did that with perseverance because ambition involves pursuit. That's a word we don't use a lot, but it's a word that comes with intensity. When you say you're going to pursue something, you're going to put a lot of effort in it. And that's what ambition does. Ambition pursues what it desires. A true and passionate ambition is not just put up on a shelf to collect dust. That's not what it does. It's not just something you occasionally you know, pull off the shelf and think about a little bit. You know. No, ambition is something that is constantly on your mind. It becomes what you think about. It becomes what you desire. It becomes what you work toward. And that's why we need to be energized as Christians in the fact that that our ambition in this life, no matter what your career is, no matter what your, your family situation is, your ambition is to please God in all of that. We need to be like, you know, those stories we hear about that business entrepreneur who invests 100% of himself to build a successful business. We need that kind of focus when it comes to our ambition in the kingdom of the majesty himself. But why? do Christians sometimes not have such a spiritual ambition? Why is that the case? Well, I think very simply, it's the earthly stuff that distracts us. Earthly aims rob us. Earthly aims steal our spiritual energy. It drains our spiritual drive so that our minds and our hearts are not being set on things above, as Paul writes in Colossians. If we have been raised up with Christ and we are seated with Christ by faith, then he says, set your mind on Christ. Let your mind be where he is. It's up, not down. It's not here. It's where he is. But we live in this world and we're surrounded by all the things in this world. And it's easy to get distracted by all the stuff here below. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus warns us about that in the parable of the sower. You remember the third soil? The soil that was contaminated and polluted with thorns and what do those thorns do to the good seed that's trying to grow and thrive well it chokes it out so it 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 doesn't bear the fruit that it needs to bear and eventually it can die completely and it is in matthew chapter 13 and luke 8 when you've got those accounts of the of that uh, that particular soul and it describes the things that are choking some believers choking some christians 
And he talks about life's concerns and life's cares and life's pleasures and life's riches, which in and of themselves, by themselves, are not necessarily evil, but they become distracting. And if we're not careful, they can become very consuming. And so that's why if we're going to have an ambition that pursues the right things, that means our ambition also has to prioritize things in our life. You're familiar with what Jesus says in Matthew 6 about the kingdom. And he's just warned us about the thing that so, so many of us wrestle with, and that is worry. Worry about the stuff here below. The worry and concern and care that consumes our minds and hearts sometimes you know, you know, how am I going to be able to, you know, take care of my family? You know, how am I going to make sure I have food on the table? You know, all those things are necessities. Those are real needs. But the man of faith is, okay, don't let that distract you or consume you from what your real calling, your real ambition is, and that is to please the Lord. And so Jesus addresses that very real practical thing that he knew and he knows his disciples wrestle with. It's not that we all have it all together every day. Some days we don't have it soaked together, do we? And so that's why we need the Lord daily talking to us through his inspired words. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he says, Do not worry then, saying, What we will eat, or what we will drink, or what we will wear for clothing. You know, those are things that you need. You need to eat, and you need to drink, and you need to have clothes on. You know, those are needs. And he says, But don't worry about those things. He goes on to say, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, that is, the worldly ones, you know, they, you know they, they seek all these things for your, but he goes on, but your heavenly father knows what you need, you know. God already knows you need those, and he made you. He made you to have needs, and he says, you know, he says, remember, I made you, and I know what you need. But then in verse 33, so how do I, how do I work to overcome my worry? Verse 33, seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So prioritization is essential when it comes to the subject of getting your ambitions right. Being a righteous citizen of the Lord's kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, is where we need to invest 100% of ourselves. That's where 100% of ourselves needs to be invested. And we need to do that every day. We have to desire it, we have to seek it, we have to pursue it. But at the same time, recognizing, acknowledge to yourself, earthly matters do get in the way. And we've got to make sure that we push those things aside and they become second place to us. Because worldly ambitions are vain. In the, in, in, when it comes to the end of your journey, all of your worldly ambitions will not give you any lasting nor eternal benefit. 
if you didn't do so and please the Lord. So, ambition that is 100% invested in pleasing the Lord is all about living for the Lord. That's what it's all about. It's about living every day for the Lord. As you go about in a responsible, godly way, seeing to life's concerns and cares. And so here in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 12 and following, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press onward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have, if anything you have a different, if, excuse me, let me read that right. If, if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, e that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, my ambition is to please God. My ambition is to, to live by the standard that is in Christ. My ambition is to press on to the goal that he has set before me. But before he had that ambition, Paul was on a very prestigious path for Jewish success. He didn't always have an, have an ambition for Christ. That was not always Paul's story. That's not the whole story of Paul. There was a time in his life before he was a Christian, before he was a disciple of Jesus, he was on a different path. And you see that here in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, where he describes that history in his earlier years. And what we see here is that at that time period, in regard to adherence to the law of Moses, the Old Testament way, he says, I was a devout Pharisee. That's what I was. I was pharisaical in all that I did in my devotion and piety to God. But also, he says, I was determined to promote Israel's national identity and Israel's national heritage. That was my focus. To the point that he says, I opposed any faith, any faith which I thought was anti-Jewish traditions. 
If I thought it was anti-Jewish, then I fought against it. And during that time period of his life, he was a strong believer in Jehovah. And he was a strong adherence to God's righteousness according to the law of Moses. And he was very zealous about that. And he was very sincere about that, about his ambition for Judaism. And it was totally misdirected. He was missing the mark. He was missing the point. He'd missed the fact that that law foretold of Christ. And that's the one he needed to follow. But when he arrived at the point of clarity, when he came to know who Jesus Christ, the Lord, was and is, he changed his ambition. His ambition was no longer focused on a road of Jewish success. His, his ambition was all centered in and around Jesus Christ. And you see that in verse 7 through 11, where it reads, whatever things were gained to me, he says, that past life that I, hey, it, it was, I was on a career of success. So whatever gain it was to me then, in verse 7, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, I give it all up. I throw it away because I want Christ now. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul has clarity now. And the reason why he has clarity is because he knows who Jesus is now. He realized, that's where I need to be. I need to be in Jesus. I need to be trusting Jesus. I need to be listening to Jesus. I need to be walking with Jesus. I need to be abiding in Jesus. And that's what Paul did. The question we need to ask is, do we know Jesus? Do we know Jesus like Paul knew Jesus? And you don't have to be on a, on a road to Damascus to know Jesus. Because Paul tells you about Jesus. And he tells us that if you'll read what I wrote, you can know everything that I knew. So do we? Do we know Jesus? Do we have the clarity of knowledge concerning Jesus Christ that impacts what our, our personal ambition is in this life? Are we listening to Jesus like Paul did? Are we abiding in his doctrine? Are we walking with Jesus like Paul did? Are we willing to suffer with Jesus like Paul did? Paul's goal, Paul's aim became a 180-degree change in his life. 
gaining Christ and having Christ in his life and walking with Jesus and knowing that he could attain the resurrection of the dead and heaven in eternity, that was of more value now than all of his Jewish heritage, all of the traditions that he held to, and all the achievements that he had, he had gained. All of that was nothing compared to Jesus. Nothing was worth more than Christ to him. If he was going to weigh him down and distract him, he says, I'm throwing it away. It is garbage to me. Even to the point he throws away this very prestigious religious career that he was previously achieving. He says, that's nothing to me now. Because now I know Jesus. And I know what that means. And I know what that promises me. So you have this new upward call that is centered in Christ. And it revolves around Christ. And, and he, he has such laser focus. Why? Because he saw the Savior. He saw the King. And he kept seeing it. And he also could see by faith... Heaven's reality. Those were in the forefront of his mind. And so he was seeing it every day. And he was living it by faith every day. And that's why he could write over in Galatians 2, in chapter, you know, verse 20, he says, It's no longer I who live. I've been crucified with him. I've died with Christ. I'm not living anymore. It's Christ that's living in me. That's why he could say that. Because his ambition was just Jesus. It's pleasing the Lord, pleasing the Lord, you know, the king and the savior of his life. And so he pressed onward to live according to Christ's standard, according to Christ's rule. The narrow way of Christ implies difficulty. It implies constrictedness about, of the journey. And to follow that narrow way steadfastly every day of your life takes a lot of persistent effort. It takes a commitment, a commitment to continue even when things are hard. Because sometimes when things get hard, we want to quit. We want to take an easier route. We want to go around. We want to take a bypass. Yeah? You know, we don't want to... We don't want to Stay on that, you know, slow, treacherous path. You know, we're in a hurry. And so we take bypasses. But in Christ, there are no bypasses. It's one steady, everyday journey, making sure that you keep your ambition on Christ. And even when you're tired... I'm always you know, mindful of what Paul writes over in Galatians 6, and it says, you know, do not grow weary doing good. You notice it doesn't say, don't grow weary. It says, don't grow weary doing good. The point is not that you won't be, feel weary. It's not, the point is not that you're not going to get tired. The point is, okay, you're tired, but what? You keep on doing it. Even when you're tired, even when you're weary, you keep doing good. That's the point. 
And so that takes motivation and that takes maintenance. We have to maintain our faith. We have to maintain our allegiance to Christ. And we have to be mindful of what's promised to us. Glory is promised to us. Don't take your eyes off glory. Whatever appears right now to be sparkly and whatever and attractive, get your eyes off that stuff because that will fade, that will rust. You're going to lose that stuff. But don't take your eyes off the glory of, of eternity. So that means you have to every day endeavor to succeed spiritually. Not physically, but spiritually you need to succeed. And along the way, the Lord will bless you physically as he sees what is best for you. So how do we do that? Very quickly, I'm going to give you five scriptures that suggest some ways we live anew for, for Christ every day. One is found over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, as Paul writes to another group of Christians. And once again, he's, he's writing to them, how, how, how should you live? How should you, you know, practice faith? Faith is not something you have in your head. Some, it is something that you do every day. And well, one way you do that in Christ and for Christ is exp expressed here in verse 10 and 11. In, at the end of verse 10, he says, I urge you, brethren, to excel still more. He's talking to Christians. He said, hey, y'all need to keep doing what you're doing, but you need to excel in it. Why is that? Because your ambition is not the things of this world. Your ambition is the things above. So therefore, how, how do I go doing that in this life? He said, well, verse 11, make it your ambition, make it your aim to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Stay out of trouble and work doing what's good. Do your job well. And do it to the Lord, not to please men, but to reflect Christ in whatever you're doing. Inspire to lead a quiet life and work. That's part of the spiritual ambition as we walk here on the earth. Another exhortation is found in the same book, 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5, in verse 15, where he says, see, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Not only do we need to make our aim and aspire to lead this quiet life and, and be dependable you know, workers, employees in, in this world reflecting Christ, but also he says, every day seek what is good for other people. Seek what is good for others. Because not, it's not just about us, is it? And that's true in your, in your family. That's true in your workplace. That's true in the family of God. That's true in the community. How do I live every day with a spiritual ambition? Well, Every day, seek to do good for others, whoever they may be. They may be someone you care very much about, or they may just be an encounter, 
along the way, but you did something good for that person. But also in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, we are challenged to pursue these qualities, these characteristics. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and me. Now, that's a sermon in itself as you try to talk, apply what does all that mean in a practical way. But for the sake of today's life, I think, you know, we have a pretty good grasp of what those things entail. And that needs to be a pursuit in our life. We pursue righteousness. We pursue faith and love. We pursue meekness or gentleness. The Hebrew writer says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. He says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You want to see the Lord one day? And I know you do. You want to see him on heaven's shores. But if you want to experience that, Personally, he says, you need to be pursuing these things. Pursue peace and pursue sanctification. This and these exhortations are all describing what it means to please the Lord every day when you live your life here on earth. And then finally, let's end with this. And that is in over in Ephesians chapter 6, you're familiar with you know, the armor of God and the various components of that armor. And I just want to focus on the fact that here in this particular chapter, we have a couple of verses that basically sums it up by saying, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore, taking up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, put on that armor. Don't go, do not get up out of bed without God's armor on you. That's true in the home, and that's true outside the home. It doesn't matter where you are. You make sure you have God's armor on, that you are fully adorned and equipped with that armor. Why? So you can resist sin, so you can resist evil, and so you can stand firm in the Lord because you cannot do it alone without God's armor. You can't. You cannot resist and defeat Satan without clothing yourself with God and Jesus Christ. The kingdom of our Lord is definitely a kingdom that is filled with majesty. And as Christians, we are immeasurably blessed to be part of that. And so therefore, with this renewed purpose to life, may each one of us, may each one of us make it our ambition to live energetically as well as brightly for Jesus every day. But the question that I, you know, I will end with is this. Are you living for Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? Are you in Jesus? Or are you living 
or a love of this world? Which is it? There's really only two choices when it comes to life and eternity. It's either God or not. What will it be for you today? If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, you believe that with all your heart. You believe him to be the Son of God, but you have not committed your life. You've not given yourself to the Lord in obedience to his gospel. We want to encourage you to do that today, and we are ready to assist you in that. If you believe him to be the Son of God, why not today confess that faith before others unashamedly with your mouth? Repent of the sins that you have committed. Turn from the sin that separates you from God and be baptized into Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord, for the remission of your sins, and he will forgive you. God does not lie. Will you do that? If you are a Christian, but there is something in your life that is severing that relationship in some way, if we can help you to make that right, if you need to confess wrong or you just need the prayers of the saint, whatever it may be, if we can assist you spiritually this morning, we invite you and encourage you to please come forward and make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that has been selected.